This is episode number 254 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, everybody. It's Jesse. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure it was on your radar that we are opening enrollment for our pregnancy and postpartum exercise core and pelvic floor coaching certifications very soon. We're so excited to welcome you in on Monday, October 17th for a limited time only. If you are a fitness professional, coach, health pro, or clinician, these courses are for you to learn how to effectively, safely, and successfully coach, train, and treat pregnant and postpartum people in whatever movement or health modality you work in. If you've been listening to the pod for any amount of time, you probably know that we have been running our postpartum certification for the last six years now. It's actually our six-year anniversary of the first class. And we're so excited to finally be introducing our pregnancy coaching certification into the mix. So The pregnancy and postpartum certs are completely separate courses, and we did it this way because we really wanted to take such a deep dive into the materials. It was the best way for us to be able to really make these courses so strong for you to feel super confident in working with pregnant people in all trimesters and postpartum people who come to you from very early on post-pregnancy or post-birth through to many years or decades after postpartum. So on Monday, October 17th, we will be opening enrollment again for just a limited time only, and then registration will shut down again until sometime in later 2023. So you can hop over to the link in the show notes today to get your name on the list if you would like details about when we open enrollment to the public. Of course, we'll be so delighted to welcome you in and to get you this education and to get you certified as a pregnancy and postpartum fitness specialist. Hello, friends. Welcome on to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And such a special treat for you today. I was on a podcast with my friends, Lauren and Jason Pack, and on their podcast called Reasonably Fit, which I highly recommend you go check out. It's one of my favorite names for a podcast. They're just really incredible fitness and strength training professionals. But as the name suggests, from a really relaxed lens, which of course we love here. 
So they allowed me to take this recording from the podcast we did for theirs and share it with you all here on To Birth and Beyond. So what you're going to hear is myself, Lauren, and Jason chatting about basically the state of the pregnancy and postpartum fitness industries and how how the messaging and marketing to those populations can be really harmful, especially for postpartum folks. We talk about best practices for exercising in pregnancy and returning to exercise postpartum. And then we do a really nice deep dive into the pelvic floor and what a optimal effective Kegel and pelvic muscle training really looks like. So I hope you enjoy. It's perfect timing if you are also a fitness health professional or clinician because next week on Monday, October 17th, we'll be opening enrollment to our pregnancy and postpartum coaching certifications. So if you like what you hear on this episode, know that you're going to get that and so much more if you become certified with us through our programs. And if you are someone who is pregnant, postpartum, or parents, I'm sure that you're going to find a lot of gems in here that you'll be nodding your head along to. All right, friends, enjoy. All right. Well, Jesse, we're so excited to have you with us today. This has been one of the most requested topics is to talk about training through pregnancy and postpartum. And as soon as people started asking, I was like, well, I know exactly who I want to get on the podcast because she is a total expert and you approach it with so much empathy and so much understanding for what people who have who are either pregnant or postpartum are going through. So thank you so much for being here with us. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. I'm so delighted to talk to you both. Oh, we're so excited. So I've actually referenced you in the past on this podcast because one of the things that we're always trying to talk about is how to, like the podcast is called Reasonably Fit. We're trying to just bring a little bit more sensible, tangible ways to just make fitness fit into your life rather than take over your life. And one of the things that I learned from you that I absolutely love is that you don't have to be in workout clothes to work out. (laughs) And I know this has nothing to do with pregnancy and postpartum, but can you talk about like sort of how you've started to break down the barriers of entry to exercise in general? Because I think that that's one of the best things that I've ever heard from you is like, just start moving. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter the environment. Just start moving. And I love that so much. Yes. It's funny because you said it doesn't have anything to do with postpartum, but it (laughs) kind of has everything to do with postpartum because This is what I kept finding for myself and also our postpartum clients who we work with is that there are so many barriers. You know, there are just really real things that are happening in their lives that are preventing them to getting to the workout and getting to a workout that happens all in one go You both know, as parents of two young kids, there's just so much stuff that can prevent that from happening. So we would just start telling our clients, anything you're wearing, that's your workout clothes. Just get into it. And if you can get through one set of the exercise, if you can get through half of the workout, cool, come back to it in three hours at the next nap time, the next day whatever. Let's just piece it together however we are able to. And so 
stop changing your clothes <laughs> became the thing that we just started telling everyone. And they were like, oh, yeah, I guess I don't have to. I guess I can just wear what I'm wearing and I can move in it. And for a lot of our clients, they're probably already wearing some comfy clothes, some <laughs> lagging, some stretchy stuff. Yeah. They're probably not, you know, taking care of their kid 24-7 in jeans. And even <laughs> if they are, <laughs> can probably work too. So yeah, just start to remove all of the barriers that might exist and clothing can be one. And specifically for pregnant and postpartum folks where clothing might be a difficult thing to begin with, especially for people post-pregnancy where they might feel like nothing really fits too well. I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable in all my old workout gear. Okay, so let's not even worry about it. What do you have right now that feels okay on your body? Let's just put that on and get to it. So just start this larger conversation of breaking down all the barriers that exist. And that can be these ideas of a perfect workout. What does successful mean to you now? What is worth it or valuable? It just starts to become this thing that we untangle in so many directions. And clothing is a real piece of that. I love that so much. And I love the piece about trying to not worry about fitting into your old clothes or things like that, but without it being without making it a big deal, kind of just being like, okay, we don't have to address, you know, we'll talk about body image later on in this episode, but we don't even have to address that in this moment. Let's just like work out in the clothes that you're comfortable with now <laughs> and like try to keep just the focus on moving and on getting back on track and with your workouts. And I love that. That's so great. So can you tell us how you sort of got initially interested in training pregnant and postpartum people? Because I don't know if you, I believe you did that before you had children of your own. Yeah, I've been coaching pregnant and postpartum people for 15 plus years now. And I actually started my very first personal training job was at a boutique studio for pregnant postpartum people and parents. Oh, wow. So it was my first introduction to personal training and fitness coaching. And I was just totally hooked from the get-go. It's actually, it was in this town, my hometown, that we now live back in again after being away for 10 years. So it's kind of funny, like really full circle-y feelings when I drive by that studio <laughs> and remember the training that we would never do now 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, we were just, there was so much running and boot camp and lots of like hardcore classes for these early postpartum mm. folks who would come in just the whole mindset but also the whole idea that we have about optimal core and pelvic floor training is just so so different we would be talking about diastasis recti in terms of you know if you have a two finger gap between your abdominal muscle bellies that's a diastasis that needs to be fixed. And it just couldn't be further from what we're actually doing now yeah. with those kinds of things. So yeah, it was my first introduction. And then I was also going to school here at Queens University for physical education. And they were doing really cool research at the university with pregnancy exercise stuff. And they still do. But that was my first introduction too to the actual science and evidence around pregnancy exercise. So super interested and then went on to do my master's degree in kinesiology and I did a coaching based master's and was able to study basically whatever I wanted to and I focused everything on pregnancy and postpartum exercise and 
yeah, I've been doing it ever since. That's so cool. Wow. It's very rare for for someone to start out in the personal training industry and already start out in a niche. Like usually you start working with kind of athletes, general pop people, like you have just like a gamut out. and then you decide kind of gravitate, but it's really rare that you just get to start out in that initial niche or at least the whatever you landed, whatever job you landed happened to be the thing that like really got you excited. So that's very, very cool. And now you have so much experience. Yeah, it is interesting. And like you were saying, I started coaching these populations before I ever experienced a pregnancy or postpartum myself. So I knew so much going into it. And most people, that's not their experience. Mm. And that's really what we're so passionate about is giving people the education that can help them along during pregnancy, going into birth, postpartum. But I knew a ton. And sometimes that was great. And sometimes that wasn't so great. (laughs) I was (laughs) spent some time thinking like, oh, maybe I'm spiraling a little bit about this because I know so much about what might be happening to my body right now or what might be to come. And I have just heard all the stories from the moms and parents that I had worked with up until that point about the realities of what pregnancy can be like, what postpartum and parenting is like. So I felt very well prepared. Yeah, I can I can understand that from the other side, too, though, of feeling like, you know, too much. I remember <laughs> feeling the same way, like hearing having coached people for probably about 10 years before I became pregnant myself. Like I've heard and, you know, as a personal trainer, sometimes you hear all the stories like people don't hold back. They love to tell you everything because there's not a lot of people in their lives who can who they can tell like all the details to. And if you've created this connection where they feel comfortable with you, like they tell you everything. So I was like, okay, I need to start surrounding myself with some positive birth stories because I've heard a lot of horror stories. (laughs) Like I don't want to hear them right now. (laughs) So during like when I was pregnant, I was like, I really only want to hear positive stories. I know that there are plenty of potentials for things to go wrong, but Let's just like try to bring it back to a place of at least like neutral. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. And when you have been, yeah, maybe that one person that people feel like safe and trusting telling their public floor struggles to, you're like, okay, I know a lot of what could happen. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So we get asked all the time, like, what are the the things we get asked the most are what are some of the considerations? We'll kind of go break this interview down into pregnancy and then postpartum. So starting with pregnancy, what are some of the main considerations when you first become pregnant? And then maybe like a trimester by trimester breakdown to start considering. Yeah, cool. So uh, Most importantly, we want to keep people moving in pregnancy and strength training is a wonderful way to do it for as long as they want to and for as long as they're able to. And that's really the beauty of strength training in pregnancy is that we can modify all of the things for people who are in the first trimester and then all the way through full term. So it really can be a wonderful way to continue moving in a way that actually feels comfortable on the body. And uh, I joke about this, but it's not a joke that I was more comfortable strength training in my pregnancies than I was sleeping for like the second half of it. Just misery sleeping, but strength training felt okay. It shouldn't make sense, but it does. And a lot of people feel that way. Totally relate. Yeah. So first trimester, what can be happening for people is a lot of fatigue that can hit very quickly and intensely, maybe a lot of nausea that is not only morning sickness. And (laughs) if you have experienced this, 
you know, that that can be a 24-7 type situation of feeling really sick and uncomfortable in your body. And then there can be also a lot of mental and emotional stuff that can come up for people in pregnancies, not just the physical things. And I really learned this myself in my second pregnancy that was an unplanned scenario. And I had a really difficult time during that second pregnancy. But it taught me so much about not everyone feels excited about the pregnancy. Not everyone is only feeling really happy and positive about what they're going through right now, or thinking forward about what they might go through. So for me, with people who are strength training in pregnancy, we're just using that exercise as a tool to help people feel as well as they can physically, mentally, and emotionally. And the training plan, if we're talking about just the physical stuff, we want to see that flux and change through first, second, third trimester. It should, because the body is going to change so much through that time period as well. So first trimester, if someone is feeling well, and some people are super lucky and do feel very well, the training could look very similar to maybe how they were training. And like you're saying, maybe it's at a light, moderate intensity, maybe it's at a higher intensity, and really all things might be able to fit in that first trimester. Second trimester, we might want to make some more adjustments to the actual physicality of that training plan. And it could be that people's bodies are just starting to physically change more. And that could be from an outwards appearance. But there's also maybe more growth of the uterus, of the belly, of the baby happening at this really fast clip. And that itself is changing how people feel in their comfort level with certain exercises. And then third trimester, there's just so much that might be happening during that time point. The body is really different than it was physically in the first trimester. Maybe people are starting to experience some more pelvic floor symptoms or pain, and we can adjust for all those things too. And just people might be feeling a lot of fatigue. Energy might be quite low for some And again, for some people, the nausea could have subsided and might be ramping back up in the third trimester. So overall, absolutely, let's keep people moving through all those trimesters. And it will probably need to just adjust, depend on how people are doing, how they're feeling in their bodies. And again, it should change through the trimesters because the body is changing so much. Yeah, that makes sense. Can we talk about... um breathing techniques during when you're pregnant. And I know a lot of people, if they're powerlifters specifically, are taught to take a big inhale, hold their breath, like say they're squatting, take a big inhale, hold their breath on the way down, and then do that sharp Valsalva exhale on the way up. Is that something that you would want to continue, that you would want to discontinue, and maybe why? Yeah, so we tend to look at breathing as using a variety of strategies during pregnancy, especially during exercise, but consider this for your daily life too. So we talk about having options and that's really what we want is to not only be using that breath hold Valsalva type contraction and maneuvers, we might move away from that a lot. We might move away from that altogether. It wouldn't be something that I would be super comfortable continuing to coach a pregnant client with. Pregnant folks aren't fragile. However, 
there is a lot that is happening in the body and we are prioritizing safety and wellness of the fetus and the pregnant person through everything that we do. So for me, I definitely feel most comfortable coaching people in continuing to have nice inhales and nice exhales. And we're probably not training at the rate, the intensity, the resistance that we need to use that type of breath hold strategy too often. You might find it for a couple reps of a set, maybe for something you're doing in your daily life. But usually I'm going to cue exhale on exertion. So exhale through the hard part of the exercise or exhale through exertion. So exhaling through the whole exercise, which sometimes works really well, or just breathing however you can and however you remember to. Just let's get that inhale in to the chest, to the rib cage, 360 degrees, exhale it out and restart through the inhale. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I know it's, it can be really hard to change a strategy that you have used for so long because your goal has always been lift heavier or, you know, work as hard as possible. And so I remember for me learning that maybe that was going to create more intra-abdominal pressure than we wanted, potentially put a little bit more, like it creates some bearing down, put a little more pressure on the pelvic floor. I was like, but then how do I breathe for a squat like can I not squat anymore and like just learning to tone back the weight a little bit and like managing breathing for me was something that did take a lot of like very intentional practice and took and I did have to bring the weight back which I remember feeling like I didn't I was so like against it personally at the time because I want I didn't want to be fragile like you said like I wanted to show that I could lift and I could be strong but it was like at, at what expense for my potential recovery in the future. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that's kind of where we need to find the gray area when we talk about pregnancy exercise. It's like we have these two extremes. Either you can do all the things. You're not fragile. Like keep pushing. You can keep squatting big weights until the end of your pregnancy. Or it's, you know, saying just rest, do yoga, walking is enough. And those two camps might be okay for lots of people. But for the majority of the folks that I'm working with and how I wanted to train in my pregnancies and Lauren, how you wanted to train in your pregnancies, there's a lot more nuance and gray that we can be working with that actually is going to work better for probably the majority of people, especially if you're a fitness or health pro listening in. For the majority of people you're working with, that's how they're going to want to be training with some moderate intensity. They probably want to be lifting. They probably want to be able to lift their 30-pound toddler or preschooler that is at home and not feel like they're going to break themselves every time they do it or like their uterus is going to fall out of their body every (laughs) time they do it. So how can we train people to, A, enjoy the exercise that they're doing, feel good and not wrecked doing it, prepare them to actually be okay in their life during pregnancy, but postpartum too, because parenting gets really physical really quickly mm-hmm. and keep that pregnant person and the fetus safe and well. We got to find a way to do all of that stuff. And we can, we absolutely can. Some of the things that I know a lot of people experience during pregnancy are 
SI joint pain, sort of like common things that come up that we have to make modifications for. Can you go over, maybe SI joint pain is one because I know that comes up a lot, like how a lot of people have that with like a split squat, for instance, and like how would you go about modifying to make that feel better? Why would you want to modify around that? Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, so we can even talk about this in terms of pelvic girdle pain, which would include SI joint pain. So pelvic girdle pain is pain or discomfort anywhere in the pelvis and that could be at I should have brought my pelvis model today. <laughs> uh, could be at the front of the pelvis so the pubic symphysis that joint right in the front or the SI joints at the back so sacroiliac joints or the tailbone itself and there can be a lot of discomfort that can come up for folks in all of those regions or one of those regions so what we have generally heard about pelvic girdle pain is that just keep your legs together. Don't do anything that is maybe a split stance or unilateral. Just stay bilateral legs together for this whole pregnancy. <laughs> um, totally reasonable advice. <laughs> yeah. Just hop around. <laughs> exactly. It just doesn't make sense for people who are living real lives. So I generally take a three-step process to people who are struggling with pelvic girdle pain. So number one, release and relax. So we probably want to get some down training of the pelvic floor. So we're doing some focused breathing exercises to bring some relaxation to the pelvic floor muscles and surrounding muscles. But that tends to be where we want to start because people experiencing pelvic girdle pain often are having some probably tightness, tension to the pelvic floor muscles. And again, could be other muscles surrounding it. So we start there, release and relax through the pelvic floor. Second, mobilize. So any exercises or movements that we can gain some mobility through the pelvic floor, the glutes, the adductors, because all that musculature is going to impact how someone will feel in the pelvis. And then three, strengthen. Or building stability. And that could be our split squats. That could be our step ups, any exercise where we're really focused on building that muscular strength. So we, again, we take that three step process, release and relax, mobilize, strengthen, and that tends to be really helpful for people. Instead of just saying, keep your legs together, don't do any unilateral exercises. Again, we want to keep them doing that stuff in their life as long as possible because they're probably going to have to. So how can we do that and how can we layer on other strategies like using the breath, using gentle tension with the pelvic floor and the deep abdominals, body position, There's so many of these strategies that we can then layer on when we actually get into those movements that might be causing the pain, symptoms, or discomfort, rather than saying, just don't do that then. I love that. That's awesome. And that's such great advice. I mean, it's great advice for everyone in every stage of life is if it's something that you're going to probably come across in life, like a lot of times you you can relate it to knee pain. The common thing to tell people with knee pain five, 10 years ago was don't let your knees go over your toes. And it was like, but wait, when I walk up the stairs, when I bend down to pick something up, like, how am I supposed to move like that? Like there's, it's not possible. So let's, let's use graded exposure. Let's figure out ways where we can gradually make that feel comfortable because you don't want to 
like protect it so much that then when you do have to go do that thing, it's a lot of pain or it's, you know, potentially injury causing instead of gradually getting yourself into a place where it feels more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that I just wish we talked about more and more people knew during pregnancy is that sometimes these strategies are just so simple and can really help and fix things up so quickly and like I was saying it could be that you just are going to breathe in a bit of a different way we're going to put your feet in a slightly different position we're going to internally or externally rotate just a little bit and those things sometimes is really all it takes yeah and a lot of times I imagine that's like it's too hard to give a blanket like okay if you have pelvic girdle pain you need to put your feet in this distance apart and do, you know, it's like everybody's going to have a different hip structure to begin with and then going to have different symptoms. So really allowing yourself to have some individualization with with the way that you're modifying movement, right? Yes. One of my mentors, Anthony Lowe, the best advice from him that I give to all of our clients too is just do something different. If you're experiencing pain, discomfort, then let's just try it a different way. If you are doing, you know, the perfect squat stance, feet just slightly turned out, you know, trying to keep your upper body in this really stacked position and you're having pain that way, okay, let's try something else then. Because we don't have to stick to these really rigid rules about technique and form like maybe we've been taught or maybe you have been taught from other fitness or health pros maybe you can just let it be a little looser and easier love that i'm gonna now quote jesse mundell quoting anthony Lowe <laughs> with that advice because i love it <laughs> that's awesome genius um okay can we talk about kegels I just hit my microphone because I'm getting so um, excited about this. <laughs> Can we talk about Kegels? Because I feel like this is the most mixed messaging thing out there with pregnancy and postpartum. Some people are saying all you need to do throughout your entire pregnancy is Kegels and then you'll be fine. Some people are saying stop doing Kegels. You're creating more pain and discomfort for yourself. It's very confusing. I would love to hear your take on Kegels, how we can, how or if we should incorporate them. Give me, give me all the Kegel info. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's set the record straight on Kegels. Yes. So again, we're in this kind of gray area. There's so much nuance to this. The way that we teach pelvic floor muscle training, which essentially is Kegels, is that we want two things. We want to strengthen and we want to lengthen. Strengthen and lengthen. If you're going to remember anything about Kegels, That's it. So we want this contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. And we also want this release and relax of the pelvic floor muscles. The issue being with how we have generally been taught to do Kegels is the hold, 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 hold. (laughs) That's it. Like there was nothing else (laughs) after the hold. (laughs) So we need to let down. We need to let those muscles also chill just like any other system in the body. So we lengthen and strengthen. So it's not just that you get to the traffic light, get to the red light, and you do, you know, 10 reps of Kegels as fast as you can. Sure, that can be fine for some people. But more so, we just want to work on some quality of the pelvic floor muscle training. So that is maybe take an inhale breath, feel the pelvic floor muscles find some space, 
come down, let down. And then on your exhale breath, let's try a gentle lift, 25% of your max effort, lift the pelvic floor up, bit of a hole. And then on your inhale breath, we're going to let it come back down, release, relax, find space. There's so much cueing that we could do for some people that might hit for them. But that's the gist of it. Lengthen and strengthen. You don't need to be doing 500 reps of Kegels per day. Maybe it is one set of 10 breaths where you're pairing the lengthen and the strengthen with the inhale and exhale breath. And that might be enough. For people in pregnancy, we're really going to focus on the lengthening and letting down. Because what actually, if someone's going to have a trial of labor, they're trying to have a vaginal birth, the pelvic floor muscles need to get out of the way for that baby to come out of the body. The uterus pushes the baby out, not the pelvic floor muscles. So best thing we can learn to do is surrender, feel stretch, feel length of the pelvic floor muscles, again, during pregnancy. And for people to know... If you're leaking, if you're having some incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, pelvic girdle pain, it's probably not only that you are weak in the pelvic floor muscles. There might be some weakness, but that weakness could actually be stemming from the fact that you're holding lots of tightness and tension chronically. And probably first, we need to train the letdown and the releasing. Oh, that is so, so helpful. That was a masterclass in like three minutes right there. <laughs> seriously, that could be the whole podcast and it would be so valuable. <laughs> it's seriously so helpful. I do. I think that the still I hear people just be like, oh, don't forget to do your Kegels. Like a thousand of them. Yeah, just all, all day, every day while you're pregnant. And like, oh, it's just such misguided advice. And, and I know that a lot of people hear that and think like, oh, my God, I need to just squeeze all the time. And like just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And then, yes, like you said, like that creates so much tension and a lot of times is exactly the opposite of what we're hoping it will do something i actually haven't heard was the fact of like when you hear about kegels yeah you automatically think of this like a thousand percent max contraction everything is tense you're holding your breath but the fact that you just said 25 percent, just like sub maximal effort and that's things that we all teach in strength training in general like you're not supposed to operate at 100 intensity all the time it just makes so much sense to just dial it back a little bit you'll still get tons of benefit from that if not more than just obviously just cranking away (laughs) all the time (laughs) yes yeah and it absolutely can be fine to try a couple of reps of you know your one rep max on your pelvic floor yeah (laughs) it can be fine and Post it can your actually lift be on really... Instagram, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually can be useful for people if they do, because they might be having a difficult time feeling that let down of the pelvic floor. That can be a difficult thing to sense. So if you're having trouble with it, it actually can be a smart strategy to try to do that 100% contraction, really feel what that's like, mm. but then feel the lengthen because it might be more a discrepancy and that could be easier to feel. But once you get that sensation, we probably don't need to be doing those one rep maxes of the pelvic floor all the time. <laughs> oh, that's so great. All right. I want to start transitioning into training postpartum before we get into, and I love that you touched on this in the very beginning, is that this is not just a physical um, training that we need to do. This is emotional, psychological, like there's a lot that's going on with everyone who's going through this and postpartum fitness. 
has gotten better. But as you know, because you're very much in it, it's still a lot of get your body back, lose the mummy tummy, marketing toward women trying to make them feel like their bodies are now broken, bad, ugly. You need to get back to what you looked like pre-pregnancy. Before we even get into the training side of postpartum, can we talk about the marketing in the fitness industry and how how much of a negative impact it's having? Yeah, it's really harmful and predatory on postpartum people, moms, women. It is really gross. And like you're saying, it is shifting. But then I go outside of my bubble of the fitness industry with folks like you all. And I see what is still happening in the majority of cases. And I forget just how how that marketing and messaging centered around making the body smaller, making it tighter, less squishy, less round, all of the things is really impacting how postpartum are people are feeling in their bodies. And what makes me probably the most sad about it, and I have experienced this with so many clients who are feeling this intense pressure to change their body to make it smaller, is that it really takes people out of the experience of their life. Yeah, And I have heard from so many clients who are you know, a few years, five, 10 years down the road postpartum, and they're now trying to approach their body and exercise from this different, more gentle lens. But the first time around postpartum, maybe they didn't. And they were caught up in this messaging about get your body back. And they really realized how much it took them out of experiencing their life, experience their baby, experiencing all the shifts that were happening for them because they got so obsessed with making their body different or smaller. And I just hate that distraction for us. I hate that distraction where we could be focused on so many other things, like real life things that are happening in our personal world, but also in the larger world around us. What are we distracted from? What are we disconnected from? So, yeah, it is harmful. And I think that there is such a responsibility that comes with coaching postpartum people because we want to help them feel better in their bodies, in their lives, without telling them that the path to that is having a different body shape. Mm. Yeah. Oh, beautifully said. What are some of the, I mean, I can think of like five off the top of my head, but what are some of the phrases we should stop using when it comes to postpartum training or or marketing toward postpartum women? Yeah. Like you said, the get your pre-body back stuff really needs to be done. That needs to die and we need to let go of that. It's all the stuff like, you know, get your pre-baby body back, get your abs back, fit into your pre-baby body jeans, clothes, whatever it might be. It's all of this stuff that is suggesting that whatever the body shape and composition is right now is less than, is mm. not enough, needs fixing. It, not to mention it's so anti-fat. It is so fat phobic in the ways that postpartum messaging and marketing is done. It makes people feel truly terrible about the bodies that they are living in right now. So anything that is suggesting that this shape, this composition of the body is not enough, whatever they had previously before the pregnancy was better. It's that that kind of stuff that is really frustrating to see. Yeah, so frustrating. I love you've said this so much on Instagram, but it needs to be shouted from the rooftops is that like your body might never 
go back to what it was pre-pregnancy. Like it's not even something, it's not even like we should stop saying this. It's like we should stop even suggesting that it's a possibility because it's not. No matter whether somebody did lose weight after or whether somebody did, you know, like fit in the same clothes after, your body is not the same. It's just not going to be. And so to expect that or to promise that is just so harmful and it creates all of these feelings for the person going through it of inadequacy of shame and it's just it's i love you saying like not even you should stop trying to do this but it's not even possible it is so true because like you're saying maybe your body composition will be similar maybe the shape of your body will be similar but all that happened internally inside your body all that happened to your mind all that happened to your mental and emotional health like you are changed everything about you is changed and I don't think you really get that until you feel that during pregnancy during a postpartum it is some of the most intense shift that you might ever grow through in your life so when we say things like nine months in, nine months out, like, don't worry, you're so early postpartum, things are going to change. When we do this kind of reassurance for our clients who are postpartum about what they're experiencing in their body, it's all rooted in, don't worry, you're going to get smaller. And I want to be really honest with our clients that I don't know if your body's going to get smaller. Actually, my body has gotten larger further out postpartum. So how can we not want to escape ourselves right now? How can we just exist? And that doesn't mean that we have to go to love your body. Like that's the way forward. (laughs) Maybe it's just finding some peace, some neutrality, some questioning about why we feel uncomfortable right now is going to be paramount in this discovery. But yeah, stop doing this reassurance that actually isn't helpful. What is helpful is just validating the person's experience and saying, I know this is probably a really uncomfortable time for you. Your body has changed. Your life has changed. That is a lot to go through. And never mind the culture that we're living in. Privilege is real. Thin privilege is real. So yeah, you're probably feeling a bit weird in your body right now. We're just going to do what we can to help you feel okay to help you feel good and exist in your body and show up in your life. And that doesn't mean that we need to change your body, but we're probably going to have to sift through some of the discomfort of that. Mm. So with all that messaging out there about sort of the rush to change our bodies and get our bodies back, I imagine that then leads people to go into exercise with the sole purpose of losing weight, which then creates the like the feeling that they need to go with very high intensity workouts boot camp style like getting crushed in order to just burn as many calories as possible can we talk about a a smarter more intentional strategy with getting back into exercise as opposed to just rushing to change your body how can we start to reintegrate exercise into our lives in a way that's actually beneficial. Yes. And this is why I don't think we can talk about postpartum exercise training or program design for postpartum without talking about body image stuff, because you can't untangle the two from each other. Our people are going to want to do certain health behaviors for certain reasons. And we need to 
have these conversations with them about why they're wanting to engage. And if I have a client who is wanting to get back in hard, fast, intensely, I'm going to want to ask some questions about why that is for them. Because it's probably not this just that they really like exercise. <laughs> There's probably some other stuff happening, especially for people who are super sleep deprived, who are getting like three hours of interrupted sleep <laughs> per night. Like what else is happening for them? So yes, talk about the body image stuff. Continue to have that conversation with yourself if you're the postpartum person about what's really going on for me here. What we tend to hear so often with postpartum exercise is wait six weeks, have your six-week checkup, gold standard, you're good to go. Return to exercise after that point. And I take a slightly different look at it. I think we can actually get moving before that six-week mark in a gentle, progressive way. And that looks like tuning into the breath of the body, starting to lengthen and strengthen the pelvic floor, connect to the deep abdominals. That can be glute bridges. That can be external and internal clamshells. It can be some squats, split squats, maybe some band rows. There are definitely things we can do before that six-week mark that can actually help people feel better in their bodies and support their mental and emotional health. And for me, that's really the big thing, especially when working with the early postpartum populations is I know how difficult this transition can be. How can we help you right now? And gentle exercise can be a beautiful way to do that. Oh, I love that. I was actually expecting you to, when you said like the general, um, you know, recommendation is wait the six weeks. I was a little bit anticipating you saying like, that's sometimes too early and you might need to wait longer. So I love that you said the way that you said that and that you, you surprised me because I wasn't expecting that answer. And I think that that's actually relieving for a lot of people to hear. Um, but with the understanding that it's not go out and run, it's just starting to reintroduce something <laughs> as opposed to feeling like you yes. just have to sit there all day. <laughs> Especially because yes. you're going to be holding the baby, doing stuff around the house, moving laundry. Like there's just so much that you're going to be doing anyway to then be like uh, just completely inactive. Otherwise for six weeks seems like a, like a weird, weird uh, guideline, I guess. Yeah, that is exactly it. And like we we're saying earlier, parenting becomes really physical really quickly. Both of you know that. So yeah, I just think can also be a lot of sitting, which is great for postpartum. You need to sit, you need to rest, but you know, feeding a baby, breastfeeding, chest feeding, it can be a really uncomfortable thing to do for hours and big stretches of time per day. So yeah, we find some of those floor-based exercise, some of those gentler exercises can really help people feel better in their pelvic floor, in the upper back, in all of the places. Yeah, I always tell people I started getting back into our early postpartum core program at two weeks post C-section both times. And it helped me feel so much better in my body. So it absolutely is possible. And again, it's just the reminder that this is gentle. It's easy. Some of my most <laughs> frustrating things that I hear is for postpartum exercises, just start walking. Just yeah. get back into walking. Actually, that 
can be really hard on a postpartum body to just at five days postpartum go for a 30 minute walk. That is wild to me. I would rather you be doing some gentle based exercises on the floor, some band rows, band pull aparts, maybe doing some half squats. I would rather you be doing that for five, six minutes a day than going for a 30 minute walk. If you're going to start walking postpartum, wonderful. Love that for you too. Let's get outside. But I'm talking five minutes to start. Yeah. Building up to 10 minutes the next week. Staying there. Building up to 15 minutes. Maybe by the time you get to four weeks postpartum. The walking needs to be slow and gradual too. Just as the body weight or strength-based exercise does. So important. I definitely didn't know that. After my first pregnancy, first thing I wanted to do when I got home was go on a walk with the baby. I'm like, I want to get outside. Actually, the advice that I loved the doctor who kind of gave us our discharge, like, papers, but also gave me, like, an emotional, like, pep talk, which is amazing. And she was awesome, but she was like, get outside every day. And I took that. She didn't say go for a 30-minute walk, but I took that as go for a 30-minute walk. And, and everybody does say, like, that's the best way to start getting, like, you can, you can connect with the baby and you get outside. Like, there's so many benefits to being outside. But walking really, really was so hard for me. I had a, more of a traumatic first birth. And I mean, I couldn't, I was like in so much pain, but I was like, but I'm supposed to be able to do this. Like, this is the one thing I'm supposed to be able to do. And so I forced it and went on too many walks postpartum too early. And that's such great advice and something I hope more people will take seriously when they are coming out early postpartum. Yes, yes. Because we have this idea of walking as just being very gentle. But when your pelvis is in that postpartum state, whether it was a cesarean birth or a vaginal birth, it needs rest. And a lot of the actual work of taking care of a newborn, if that's the position that you're in, is upright, baby on your chest, bouncing, swaying, walking, rocking. You're probably on your feet throughout the day much more than you're even considering. Mm. And you know what? That pelvis probably needs a break. Your pelvic organs and your pelvic floor muscles probably need a break and that's why I really like those strength training exercises because we can get in different positions and just the stimulus and the load on the pelvis and pelvic floor is different and varied versus just that upright walking for 30 minutes at a time. Oh, that's so helpful. Can we talk a little bit more about now? So let's say you've started to do some of that gradual reintroduction of some gentle exercise. Now you're at the six to 10 week mark and you're feeling a little bit more ready, like your body is like asking you to train a little bit. And this is going to be different for everyone. Some people will not feel the pull to exercise for me. I definitely, or for a lot of people listening who do love to strength train, do have already felt the empowering feeling behind strength training and know they want to start incorporating that back into their life. What are some of the steps that you suggest early on? How do you, how do you get started there? So most importantly, we're thinking about progressive overload with postpartum training. And that simply means that over time, we're going to introduce a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more to that point where you feel like, cool, that's good. I like strength training three days a week for 15 to 20 minutes. That's good for me. Maybe it's more for others. Progressive overload with postpartum might look like I'm six weeks post C-section. I'm going to start strength training twice a week for 10 to 15 minutes. 
And that's going to be, maybe I do four to five exercises in that workout. And I do a step up, an upper body row. Maybe I do a dead bug exercise and maybe I do a hip thrust. So maybe I have some full body exercises built into that workout. So maybe it's largely body weight. Maybe I'm using some resistance bands. Maybe I'm using dumbbells if that's right for the person at the time. Maybe that's my workout A for the week. And then maybe a few days later, I have a second workout, a workout B. And again, it's 10 to 15 minutes. It's for exercise and I'm good. So we can start off pretty low in terms of volume. And I would say like five, six out of 10 for RPE. So rate of perceived exertion. So absolutely, we could do more. We could definitely push it harder, but we don't need to be. That stimulus on that postpartum body of a person who's getting very little sleep and stress is probably high and the body's just gone through this very big thing and is recovering, that stimulus is likely going to be absolutely enough. Mm. So I say stay there, stay at that low-ish volume for at least a couple of weeks, a few weeks to test out, see how your body does, see how it's responding. And then you could build on from there. Maybe it's you add a third workout in the week. Maybe it's you stay with the two workouts, but you add an additional set. You add an additional exercise. So we just want to be slow, stay where you are with whatever you decide that baseline workout program might be, and then progress as you have noticed. I feel good. I'm recovering well. This isn't inducing, you know, maybe any bleeding, maybe really serious fatigue. I'm feeling better doing the workout than not doing the workout. That's kind of that sweet spot that we want for people. And then just slowly progressing and rebuilding, you know, reintroducing some intensity, some high impact over time, just slow and steady and progressively. I love that. Going back to you don't need workout clothes to work out. You don't have to work out an hour for it to qualify as a workout. You know, I feel like we all have this like internal thing. It's like if I don't work for an hour, then it's not a true and valid workout. Or like for me, like running, like people, people kind of like say it's not a real run until it's like past the 5K. And a 5K for me is like my absolute max, to like total 100% limit. <laughs> but yeah, I love just like lowering that barrier. Like you said, it's like you can have a five minute workout, a 10 minute workout, and then you can progressively overload depending on how your body is giving you signals over time. And just to relieve that expectation on yourself and just kind of remove those barriers. I love that. Yeah. And it's probably going to be a necessary part of the internal conversation for a lot of people, especially folks who have strength trained exercise during their pregnancy or in the past, you're probably going to need to break down these ideas of what a good workout is for you now, considering that your body and life have just changed so, so much a good successful workout is going to look different in this time period. Yeah, definitely. Some of the things that you might experience postpartum when you do get back into lifting or into running, incontinence, leaking, prolapse, that's going to happen for a, a lot of people postpartum. Do you recommend that everyone goes, if they can, goes and sees a pelvic floor physio after birth? Or do you recommend waiting until you 
find out if you're experiencing symptoms? What's your recommendation there? Yeah, I absolutely recommend having an assessment with a pelvic floor PT, physio, physical therapist, if you are able, if you can access that and have the financial resources for it. It's such an education about your body and how your pelvic floor works. So for sure, if you're able to, even if you're not experiencing symptoms, pain, discomfort, like the leaking, urge incontinence, heaviness or bulginess in the pelvic floor. Yeah, if you can, and anywhere from six weeks plus postpartum can be a great time to do that. If you're much later postpartum listening in, if you're two, three, five years postpartum, still absolutely a very important thing that you can do for yourself. What the pelvic floor physio will do if you're comfortable, is an internal vaginal assessment and an external assessment of the whole body because we know that the pelvic floor function isn't just about the pelvic floor muscles. It's really about whole body function. But they can do an internal vaginal and or rectal assessment and really see what's happening with that pelvic floor muscle function. Can you build strength? Can you let down? Can you hold? Is there endurance here of the pelvic floor muscles? And they can just give you so much more specific guidance on what you need. Like, are those kegels going to be helpful for you or do we need to just drop them Mm -hmm. for now? So yeah, highly recommend. I love that you said if you're listening in your two or three or four years postpartum, this could still be valuable. I've had so many friends, clients say, well, it's too late for me to do that now. I just, I just pee when I run. And I'm like, no, it's not too late. It's not too late. And that's become so normalized. It's become so normalized that, you know, once you have a baby, you pee. I remember my mom listens to this podcast, so she might be embarrassed for me sharing. I'll have to get her permission on whether I can share this or not. But I got a trampoline when I was growing up because I was a gymnast. So we got a backyard trampoline. And... I remember like, oh my gosh, we were so excited when we got it. So we we all ran out and we started jumping on it. My mom did one jump and she like grabs herself. She's like, nope, I pee every time I jump on this thing. And she's like, thanks to you guys. And she's like pointing to me and my brother. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember being like, oh, okay. Mental note, you pee after you have kids, like when you jump. And just thinking that that was so normal. And my mom thinking that that was so normal because there was no guidance, no information about the fact that that wasn't necessarily, like it's common, but it's not normal. Right. And so this is something that we can address and it doesn't have to be you missed your opportunity if you didn't do it six weeks after giving birth. Yes, exactly. And oh my gosh, it there's so much help that can be had with pelvic floor PT in a handful of sessions. This is not going to be something that you need to do every week for the next six months or three years. Not at all. Most of our clients, they're going for maybe three to five sessions, and then they're discharged. It's wild the help that can be had so quickly with pelvic floor PT. Awesome. That's so that's so helpful. I would love to talk about returning to running postpartum because I I know I feel like I know a lot more about returning to strength training, um, but I don't know as much about returning to running in terms of like specific. And I'm sure it's similar in terms of 
progressive overload, but just using running. But could you give some specific things that you work on? Because I know you have a program specifically geared toward returning to running. Um, could you go over some of the things that you focus on early on when you're starting on that journey? Yes, for sure. So step one is really strength training, building mm. strength. So before we get our postpartum people back to running, we always say four to eight weeks of strength training. If you're able, can we hold you off that long <laughs> before you get back to running? Because running Runners love to run. Yep. And so sometimes <laughs> it will be the best thing for their mental health to get them into running maybe a bit sooner. But for a lot of people, if we're able to get that four to eight week block of strength training in whole body strength training, and that could be one to three times a week, it doesn't need to be this massive amount of strength training. If we can get them building strength of the body before we get them into that high impact, that high volume of loading, we have found that people fare better once we get them back into the running. So, and then like you're saying, it really is a progressive overload approach. So we want them strength training and we want them walking before we get them at, into the running. And the running often starts with interval or actually sprint-based training, which people oh. also find surprising and can be like weird and unnerving for them because they're like okay I should just go slow right I should just jog <laughs> and we're like no I actually want you to run fast but for 10 seconds and then I want you to rest and to walk and to chill because again we're just trying to vary the stimulus on the body in the pelvic floor as much as we're able because that tends to be how people can actually respond best that is how their pelvic floor can work and then chill work and then chill so we start interval based approach so yeah three to six sets of a 10 second sprint with lots of rest in between and then we build up for the actual time or distance run and bring that speed down if that's if they want to be running steady state that's how we would build up to more volume with running that makes so much sense. It's so crazy because I didn't know that that was your approach. I love that because when I, so I am someone who has a hard time taking my own advice. <laughs> and <laughs> after I had my second child, I was, it was right before my next football season. And I was like, as long as I have her on time, I can get back to playing football. <laughs> and I did. She came right before her due date. I was like, perfect. I have six weeks to get back to football, knowing very well that that maybe wasn't the best decision. But as you mentioned, and I think it's important to mention, for my mental health, it really was important to me. And I was like, I'm going to find a way to do this as safely as I can. So I went to my, you know, I went to public for PT. And when you play football, it's a bunch of sprints, right? It's a series of sprints. It, it isn't like soccer where you're constantly running. You sprint and then you come back and then you sprint and you come back because I'm a receiver. And so I told her, I was like, you know, what was really interesting is that when I was sprinting, I had no pelvic floor pain whatsoever. <laughs> I was like, I was actually, I didn't feel any symptoms of prolapse. Like I was actually feeling really good. It was when I was walking back to the line or then walking home, that's when I was feeling it. And she was like, well, and she explained that it's actually like you're, you're forcing your pelvic floor to do a contraction during a sprint. And so it's actually working better in that moment, but we need that to be able to then last into your entire life but I love I love that that's the approach you're taking because it feels extremely counterintuitive to be like okay you want to get back into running 
you're like thinking that you're going to say, go gently walk. You're like sprint. <laughs> but I am here to vouch for it because absolutely it, I mean, it, it clearly works. It clearly works. But I will say, don't go play football, do your 10 sprints and like then relax. <laughs> yeah, that might have been a bit too many for the first time out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, don't, I'm not very good at taking my own advice. <laughs> yeah, it can be so hard, especially when you have an activity like that that you love that also has that community aspect to it. Mm-hmm. It's just like you said, that was important for you at that time. And that's what I want for our clients. Like, how can we get you doing those things then within an evidence-based fashion? But I want you to be okay. So how can we help you to be okay? For running, we tend to say, like, get out of the fourth trimester, and then we'll start really building into that high impact, that sprinting. Yeah. And that tends to work out for people with when they actually get back into strength training, and we can get that four to eight weeks of strength training in. So for most of our people, it's within that, you know, like 12 weeks, three months postpartum that they might start to train with that sprint type strategy. Yeah, that's perfect. That would be that would make a lot more sense. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, actually, so I I did end up I scaled back because I clearly was doing too much too soon. So I will say I ended up scaling back. I stopped (laughs) sprinting. I stopped playing football. I got a little of minor injury because I was going to fast too soon so I mean it's almost like in hindsight it's embarrassing to even admit (laughs) but I do want to put it out there as like this is stuff that sometimes you just have to go through yourself to like get it but we do want if it's not something that's like so important to someone to get back on the football field like maybe you should wait three months four months before reintroducing running should be hopefully helpful for people to hear yeah and you're playing again now right I am. And now I feel great because I did a lot of pelvic floor PT. (laughs) I made sure that I scaled everything back and then gradually reintroduced everything. So now I am feeling, feeling very good, but it is like, it is, you have to be really intentional. And I think that's something that um, can be overlooked is that, or it can feel like the idea is just wait a long time and eventually your body is going to like get back to functioning the way that it was. Like if you just give yourself the amount of time to heal, then then you're going to be able to go out and play football. And like that's not it either. It's not it's definitely don't rush to get back to your sport, but it's also not take off 2 years and then assume that you can just go back out on the field, right? There is this like middle ground where you have to meet yourself where you're at and I think that can be very hard for people is meeting themselves in a place where they've never been before. They don't know how to treat their body in this state. And that can be really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Such a good point. The exercise can really help us along when it is done in this intentional, structured, progressive way. It can help you along. It can help you return to all those activities and the things you love to do sooner. And the seemingly slow path is always the fastest. Yeah. When we try to rush and we try to push, it often sets us back further and will just take longer than if we just head of, reel it in a little bit, rein yourself in, take that seemingly slow path, but actually is the path that'll help you to feel well, that'll help you to be able to withstand that load and intensity faster. Yes. Love that. And I know you, you were a gymnast, correct, growing up? Yes, you have a background in yes. gymnastics. And you do some gymnastics now, is that correct? Yes. I'm, I'm starting this. back to adult gymnastics. 
you should totally do it. So there's, love it. there's a um, program at MIT and they call it Jurassic Gymnastics, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was like mean Amazing. and also funny. Um, <laughs> but do you have like what was that process like for you going back and doing that? Like, has it been empowering? Has it been eye opening? What have been the, the main takeaways? Yeah, it's so interesting to feel your body move and flip when your body is so different and changed from how it was when you were doing gymnastics, you know, like 20 years ago. But what's also wild is that I feel so good. And I know it sounds so annoying, but flipping is like riding a bike for people who have learned to flip. Mm. Like Your brain just gets it. And what I also find to be wild is that I dealt with a whole lot of body image struggles from the time I was a young kid and it was really rooted in gymnastics and it followed me for a long, long time. Really, the gist was that I thought I needed a smaller body to be able to do skills like the older girls at gymnastics. Mm. If I wanted to be a competitive gymnast, I needed my body to look like theirs. But now... I'm 35 years old. My body is the largest size it's been. I've had two pregnancies, two C-sections, and I feel super confident flipping. I feel really strong flipping and landing and doing these skills. And my body doesn't need to be any kind of way. However, I have done, you know, consistent, regular, moderate strength training for a long time now. And I just feel good in my body and I trust myself And I trust my body. So being at gymnastics just feels strange because it's actually the gym club that I trained at when I was a little kid. No way. Oh, so cool. (laughs) But I just, I feel so good and rooted in my body composition and in my strength, my muscular strength that, yeah, I can flip and I feel, yeah, just really trusting. That's, that's so cool. Do you ever struggle with whether you'll put your kids in gymnastics because of your experience? Yeah, it's something that I've thought about a ton. And our oldest kid is in gymnastics at the same gym club. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know what? We just like the conversations about bodies that happen in our house and that happen between us are just so different than any conversations that were happening about bodies when I was a kid. My parents just didn't know to have them. They didn't have that understanding themselves. So I feel like we can navigate it much differently. And I hope that the coaching is navigated differently at this point, too. But ultimately, yeah, we're just exposing her to different ideas about bodies. And I hope that helps her not only in gymnastics, but in her whole experience of herself. Yeah. Oh, I love that. We've definitely struggled with it. And I have very similar experiences of having body issues, definitely starting young as a gymnast and following me all through my 20s. And yeah, I I think I forgot to separate the idea that it was gymnastics plus no education around body diversity, appreciating your body in all different sizes and forms, and that, that the size of your body is not what makes you good or valuable or talented or anything like that. And so it was devoid of all of those things. So it's not gymnastics necessarily. I mean, there are issues within the sport, of course, but that that's helpful to hear you say that and like really gives me something to think about as well is that like if we put them in gymnastics, it's just making sure and it's going to be that the conversations around bodies in our own home are much more positive and much more appreciative of all different sizes. So 
That's really helpful. Yeah. 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 And they are getting exposed to moms, specifically parents who feel really different about their bodies than Mm. maybe our parents did. Yeah. Mm. And they're getting this example of women and moms who exercise because they like how it makes them feel. They're not exercising to shrink themselves. They're not on diets. They're not obsessing about their body. They are living their life in their body with an appreciation for it. And movement is joy and movement is to support physical, mental and emotional health. And I just think that's going to be really cool to see how they live with that example too. Like tearing up. About it. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Oh. All right, Jesse, we have tried to get as many gems out of you as possible <laughs> in this hour, and we have done it. You have been so, so amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. I know that this episode is going to resonate with so many people, going to help so many people, and I know you have so much more to offer. Can you tell our listeners where they can follow you, how they can support you, how they can learn more from you? Yeah, sure. Well, first, thank you so much for having me on. I could chat with y'all all day, I'm sure. You can find me generally mostly on Instagram at Jesse Mundell. I also have a podcast called To Birth and Beyond, where we talk about all sorts of pregnancy, postpartum and parenthood topics. And then at jessiemundell.com is my website where all the details and the programs are for general population, pregnant and postpartum people, but then also training and certifications for fitness and health pros too. Highly recommend all of it. You're just such a special person. We're so grateful to know you and to be colleagues and friends. And we're just, we're just really appreciative of, of you and your time. So thank you so much. Thank you. And now for some key takeaways from today's episode. All right. What an episode. Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like every episode I'm like, this was my favorite episode, (laughs) but I feel like this was one of my favorite episodes. I just I mean, obviously have a personal connection with it, having had two kids and trained myself and others through pregnancy and postpartum. But oh, she was so good. There were lots and lots and lots of gems and nuggets in this one. Yeah. So uh, excited. For, well, I guess I guess you all have listened to it if you're listening to this part of the episode. <laughs> uh, but let's get into some takeaways. Yeah. So I actually had a hard time even choosing a, like <laughs> a takeaway. I was like, there there were so many moments. Um, but one of the things for me that I thought I wanted to sort of expand on or talk about even more is she talked about needing to be more in the gray area between the two messages that we get as pregnant or postpartum people. So the one on the one side is like, you're not fragile. You can do anything you want to do. You can squat heavy. You can deadlift all these things that make you feel empowered. And there's like good to that. And then there's the other side that's like, you shouldn't even lift, you know, more than five pounds and people need to be opening doors for you and you just need to sit and do nothing. And that feels very disempowering, (laughs) but is like taking the more safe, careful route and just really figuring out how we can meet in the middle there somewhere because we want to make sure that people do feel empowered and do feel like they can do things and not even just that they can, but like you have to, especially if you're on your second or third or fourth, whatever kid, like you have other responsibilities and children to pick up and things to do in your life. And like, we need to be able to perform those things safely. Yeah. And I feel like the more we do these interviews and I feel like the more experienced people are, the more they talk about the gray area. Yeah. The more they talk about, like uh, Ashley Mitchell said, like having multiple truths yeah. and there's less dogma about the approach because 
everything is just so comprehensive and nuanced and like, yeah, to just have a very dogmatic answer is obviously not going to work for the billions of people <laughs> on this planet. And yeah, that was, a, that was a great segment that she had of just acknowledging that there is no right answer. There's a lot of gray area and to pick the path that kind of works for you in that specific moment of time. Yeah, the the whole it depends answer is always like the most annoying to people, but also really once you've been doing it for long enough, you know that it always depends yeah. <laughs> on a lot of different <laughs> factors. So, And one thing it made me reflect on a little bit is I talked about this in the episode a little, but my return to football last season. So football is something... I feel like I can't even fully explain like how important it is to me. <laughs> like on the surface, it seems like this just recreational sport that you play on Sundays, like it's no big deal and it doesn't matter. But for some reason, I think maybe probably partially because I didn't get to play as a kid, like flag football, football wasn't offered to girls growing up. And so I didn't get to start learning it until I was in my 20s. And now yeah. I'm like 35 and I feel like I'm finally hitting my stride. And like, I, I keep getting better. I'm in the experience of continuing to get better as yeah. opposed to the decline <laughs> that you typically feel around this age. And so I'm like, it just means a lot to me to be on the field. It feels like I'm doing something that's really, truly for me. And like, I just love it so much. Yeah. And so I needed to get back on the field. Like I just, I was so determined to, and part of it was to just do it for me. But another part of it for sure, like if I'm being fully honest was because I wanted to prove to myself and to other people that I could do it. Like yeah. it felt like this accomplishment. Right. Yeah. And recently, and now we're playing in a season right now and I had a friend who's on a different team come up to me and she's pregnant. She's like nine months pregnant. So she's about to give birth soon. And she's like, you're my inspiration. Like, I'm going to try to get back on the field at the end of the season too. And I was like, oh man, like I wanted people to like, be like, wow, that's so cool that she did that. <laughs> but I don't want that for someone else. Yeah. I'm like, no, don't, don't rush back onto the field. That's not good for your body. Like now I go into trainer mode and I'm like, no, that's a really poor decision. <laughs> <laughs> and I can have both, you know, I can hold multiple truths. Like I can know that that's not really physically a good idea at all. And I can also know and understand the desire to do that for yourself. Yeah. And you had actually a indirect role model slash inspiration from another player who actually uh, was playing football as well. So yeah. it's kind of just like the cycle continues to repeat itself unless it's kind of like acknowledged and put out there. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think it was definitely, yeah, you go into trainer mode being like, no, this is actually not a good idea, but <laughs> I had to at the same time. So, right. yeah. well, so I was trying to acknowledge exactly what Jesse did. Like I, in that conversation with her, I was like, I will say, I have some regrets about going back too soon. Physically, it wasn't a good idea. I had some injuries pop up because of it. So I will let you know that. I'll also let you know that I understand. Like, I understand why yeah. you want to come back. But I want you to know the full experience of what happened. Like, I'm not going to lie to you and say like, yeah, it was awesome. I got right back on the field. Like, I pulled muscles that I've never pulled before. Right. My body was not ready to be back on that field. And pelvic floor was not ready to be back on that field. So I wanted to be honest while also understanding that there, sometimes you just have to experience it for yourself, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, we know that as coaches, it's like we know immediately like upon talking to someone whether or not they're going to go through with the advice yeah. or not. <laughs> yeah. And it's like just like as long as you put the information out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as younger trainers, we would be like, no, you have to do this mm. and like be all like dogmatic about it. But people have to. Yeah, experience things for themselves and, and uh, just go through that. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So anyway, that was a that was my own like as we were having that conversation, I was really thinking about that and trying to figure out where I could have found that balance in that gray area a little bit better for myself. Like I could have focused on strength training, like she said, like that could have been my goal is like I want to get back to getting stronger and like it didn't have to be back to football (laughs) and to know that it was like going to be there for me next season, you know? Right. I will say probably if we rewind back, you probably still play just with some maybe different prehab techniques. (laughs) (laughs) That's so bad. You shouldn't say that. (laughs) But well, so this is the part of just being a messy human and like you can know something and do, do the opposite. Everyone, Everyone has their like one thing that they're just obsessed and passionate about. And that's, that's, what it is for you and yeah. it happens to be what it is for me too so we'll always... yeah, you weren't helping the cause yeah. <laughs> you're like yeah, get yeah let's go there. let's go let's do it i'll take care of Kendrick. you can, you can go do it <laughs> uh all right so for my takeaway my takeaway was definitely the kegel part yeah. first of all you were so excited to ask that question <laughs> because yeah there's so much conflicting information it's like what do you do do you do thousands of kegels every day do you uh, or is it completely worthless and useless and it's actually harmful and it's like there's so much dogma behind the, like the two camps for kegels and for you to ask that and she just had such a great answer that was so rational 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 oh, i was gonna say reasonable <laughs> rational and reasonable and just the whole idea that it's not necessarily about doing thousands of reps per day or that they're bad. It's more about the technique and also the intention behind it. I love how simple she made it of you have to contract and then basically be able to let go. Yeah. And usually the advice is to hold as long as possible and just focus on the contraction. And she made such a good point about like when you are giving birth, you actually have to let go, let the pelvic floor muscles relax in order for the baby to come out and if you're constantly contracting and holding and holding, you're just training that pattern and it's going to make the birth actually harder. Yeah. And I thought that was really good advice. Yeah. And so simple and smart. Yeah. Yeah. Something I don't think I even heard before. Like I knew about pelvic floor training, but like, and I knew the, I knew the intention of contracting and relaxing, but I don't think I really understood like when you're giving birth, real, you need that relaxation first and foremost. Like yeah. that needs to be the the higher priority almost when when you're training during pregnancy, which I was like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about it that way. But <laughs> obviously it makes sense. She's like, your pelvic floor doesn't push the baby out. Your uterus does that. So like having a strong pelvic floor that can hold for a lot of tension for a lot of time isn't going to help in childbirth. Yeah, yeah. But there's so much mess. The messaging is so weird. And being in the fitness industry and knowing a lot of trainers who and pelvic floor physical therapists who work in this population, they have so much more nuance around this conversation. So that's why Jesse understood what I meant when I'm like, there's so much misinformation because right now there's like this battle between especially pelvic floor PTs on Instagram (laughs) is like, stop prescribing Kegels. It's stupid. It's bad. And then other PTs being like, there's reason to do them if you do them properly, but we don't have the right training. And like, they're going back and forth in this battle. But then I take a step back and try to remember, like, before I knew any of this, what I thought a Kegel was. And literally it was like, I just thought you did like a bunch of squeezes. Yeah. Like I never knew what 
to do. And yeah. like most people don't even know what a Kegel is. So I love that she actually broke it down into like when you like doing it with your breath, when you inhale, that's when you let everything relax and open up. And then when you exhale, you start to pull up a little bit. And like those are not things that are ever taught or explained. So people are going around whether they're doing Kegels or not. They're most likely not doing them properly right. anyway. <laughs> so it was like, let's bring it back to that. And then we can decide when is an appropriate time to use them and when maybe isn't. And so awesome, awesome, awesome segment. If you like, I, I would, if you're going to go backwards and listen to a section again, go back and listen to that again. Yeah. As soon as she was talking, I was like, this is what we're going to splice up into a reel or post it on Instagram. And just like, it was, it was just a golden moment. So, yeah. but we had many, many other takeaways, but we'll leave it there. Otherwise we'll just recap the entire episode. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 